0: All right. Doxa Church, good morning. Guys, go ahead and uh, grab a seat and your Bibles and find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Okay, if you are new, welcome again to Doxa. Um, it's great to have you here with us this morning. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors, but guys, here's where we're at today. Okay, we're in week three of a six-week teaching series that we have titled Six Marks. And throughout this series, guys, here's, here's what we're doing. We're really just kind of looking at the portrait of a disciple, really just asking this question. Like, what does a Christian look like? You know, how would you answer that? I mean, what does a cr- Christian actually look like? What do our lives look like? Do our lives say the right thing about the God that we say that we love and we sing to? And here's what I've been praying happens as we go through this, okay? For those of us here that would call ourselves Christians— My prayer has been that God would use these marks that we see throughout the scriptures to encourage us, to teach us, to convict us, to help us, and ultimately use all of this to help us to actually live out the faith that we say that we have. I mean, the reality is we're never gonna do this perfectly. Like all of us that are Christians, we're kind of like recovering hypocrites where there's no one perfect. There's one and it's Jesus. But my prayer has been that we would be people who actually live the way that Jesus lived we would live like the Jesus that we say that we love, we worship, and we follow. And for those of you here, and maybe you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, again, I love that you're here. It wasn't that long ago that I was in a place like this trying to figure out what I believed about God, who this Jesus was, but my prayer for you and my hope is that as we consider all of these marks, that you would just simply see how good Jesus is, like how much he loves you, what he has done for you to make a way for you to be with God. And I want you to see like what we're shooting for as we follow Jesus together here at Doxa Church, that, that we won't do this perfectly. All right? None of us will do this perfectly, but this is actually what we're trying to be as a church family. And my hope is that as you hear all this, like it would cut through all the clutter and all the noise that so oftentimes surrounds the Christian faith, surrounds Jesus, surrounds the church, and that you would actually see and that we would collectively actually come together and rally around these marks that we see laid out through the Bible and really see Jesus for who he is and who he has created us to be. But as we get into this today, all right, I want you to notice something about these marks that you see on this graphic behind me. All right, See, when you look at the life of Jesus through the historical gospel accounts, we observe that Jesus really actually did have a three-dimensional life that he lived his life in three ways, in three directions, okay? You can think up, in, and out. And I want to explain this because this is so significant, it's really helpful for us as we follow Jesus and trying to be like him, like as Romans 8.29 says, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. But Jesus, he lived upward in his relationship with the Father. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you see this all the way through Jesus' life as he was continually getting into a solitary place to spend time talking with the Father, and we just call this prayer. All right, that prayer is just simply communication and communion with God, and we're coming out of a week where we've set aside an intentional week to pray together as a church family, and I don't know about you, but as we gathered like this, it just kind of felt right. Like, we're in this space, we're upstairs, we're talking to God, we're in community, it just kind of felt right, and the truth is, guys, the reason why it felt right is because this is how we're created to live, to be in communication and communion With God. That prayer to a Christian is is breathing to a human. It's that natural. And the hope of this last week is that we would learn of and like really just see the simplicity, but the magnitude of prayer that we don't need like a special week set aside to actually pray. We don't need to have all the right words and to know big words to actually pray, but we can just simply talk to our father like a little kid talks to their parents. This is prayer. But Jesus lived upward with the father. But if you look at his life, he also lived inward. He had this inward aspect to his life where he spent time in community with his friends. We call these people disciples. That there was a friendship and community of people around Jesus who loved God and they spent time together. And so Jesus lived up with the Father, he lived in with his community. And then we see this outward aspect of Jesus's life, that he didn't just spend time in the closet on his knees praying and just hanging out with all of his Christian friends, but he lived outwardly towards people. And not just outwardly towards other Christians, but he lived outwardly towards people who didn't know God, but who God loves and created. And he lived with this mission to give all people of this world the good news of the gospel, of hope, of joy, of peace, and to really just introduce people to the gospel of God. And so as we look at Jesus' life, he had this three-dimensional life, up with the Father, in with community, and out with the mission. Now, guys, in Jesus, we not only have a Savior, but a model. And the reality is that there is a Savior in Jesus, right? And this is why we have so much joy as we gather like this and as we scatter throughout the week because we have a Savior in Jesus, amen? Like, this is the best news of all. This is the most important thing of every single person in the world to know Jesus as Savior. And this is really what the gospel is all about. And so what we are gonna do, before I even open up the Bible to learn how to live for Jesus, I wanna remind you of how Jesus lived for you. And I wanna just root this in one of the most beautiful verses, it's gonna come up here on the screen, Romans 5, 8 says this, but God showed his love for us in this, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that just sink in, Christian. Let this just well up in some worship. because the reality is, every single person in this world is a sinner in need of a Savior. And here's what this means. Right, if you just look around this room, this room is filled with a bunch of different types of people, with a bunch of different passions, with a bunch of different perspectives, different politics, but just so many differences. But one thing that every single person in this world has in common is that we are all impacted by sin. And we talk about this all the time because if you can't talk about the bad stuff, you don't understand the good stuff. But the bad news is for all people is that we have sin in our life, that we all miss the mark, we don't live the life that we should. And the nature of sin is just really just, it's everything that God is not. And it separates us from God. And apart from Jesus, all of us remain separated from God. But the gospel is that God stepped in, in the perfect timing, in the fulfillment of prophecy as the man Jesus Christ to live for us, to die for us, to raise for us. And when we come to him in faith, he gives us his righteousness, he takes our sin and he brings us back to God. This is the gospel, that Jesus is in fact our savior and this is what gives us meaning and purpose and joy and hope and perspective in all of life. So we have a savior, but not just a savior guys. We have a model. And I want you to understand that to be a Christian is really just to be someone who has come to Jesus, who has received his grace and forgiveness. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when we come to Jesus, Jesus literally makes us new. He takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, makes us a new creation to live for his glory and the good of the world around us. And as we are given new life in Jesus, Jesus is who empowers us through his Holy Spirit, And he guides us and helps us and changes us into the men and women that he has created us to be. And so as we walk new and and redeemed as the people of God, we walk empowered by the Spirit. And we do this intentionally by looking to Jesus. And so these three dimensions that we see in the life of Jesus, I want you to understand this. Guys, it becomes a pathway for us to know what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. So what it looks like to, to grow in spiritual maturity. And this is what these six marks are all about, that we want to be followers of Jesus who live upward, being worshipers and becomers. We seek to be followers of Jesus who live inward, being lovers and investors. We desire to be followers of Jesus who live outward, being neighbors and inviters. But it all starts with Jesus who gives us a new identity, taking our sin, giving us his righteousness, taking us from sinners to saints. And as he changes our identity, this leads in our change of our activity, because when you know who you are, you actually know what to do. And the activity that we're going to look at today is this third mark, that a disciple is a lover, all right? That Christians are to be great lovers. And I'm not talking about your love life, okay? We can talk about that at and Men and Women if you want. But I'm talking about your life of love. And 1 Corinthians 13 is going to be so incredibly helpful. We're going to look at some of the most famous words in our world today when it comes to love. And so we're just going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and then we'll get into what it means and understanding it and applying it to our lives. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. And here's the Hobby Lobby thing that you see all the time, all right? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know in full, even as I have been fully known. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. All right, so let me give you just a little bit of context to 1 Corinthians 13, Okay. The Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this letter, and he's writing to a young church that he started, he discipled, he, he taught, and then he left them with leaders in place to go start other churches. But as he left this church, all right, this church really did know and love Jesus, but was filled with confusion and sin. And that confusion and sin was leading to a lot of problems in the church in Corinth, which the Apostle Paul was writing this letter back to help them with, Okay. And if you read th- throughout 1 Corinthians, right, you're gonna find a bunch of crazy stuff. Like this is just like Christians gone wild. It's just insane, right? There's people that are just struggling with issues of pride and marriage and divorce. They're looking at sex and sexuality and gender just all confused. There were people getting drunk at communion. There's a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom and calling it worship. There's just a lot of weird stuff that is happening in this church. And throughout this letter, Paul is just really just trying to help them out. And he begins this letter. It's so interesting, right? He's writing to them, and he doesn't just start off by going after the problem, but he begins with talking about their identity. And he calls them saints. And he starts off by reminding them of the gospel because for Paul, he believed that if you know who you are, then you know what to do with your lives. And he shows the Corinthians how the gospel relates to every aspect of their lives. And guys, this is so important. Christian, If you've been around the church for a long time, right, you became a Christian as a little kid, maybe you're you're tempted to think that the gospel is kind of this remedial work that started at the beginning. This is the thing that you have to believe to save, be saved from sin, but then like you grow in spiritual maturity and wisdom, and all of a sudden you get into theology and and, and just like all types of spiritual gifts and all these things, and that's the thing that makes you really spiritual. I want you to understand, guys, the gospel is not just the, the starting line, But it's the track that we run on, it's the finish line that we run towards. The gospel informs everything about our lives. It impacts everything. But in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, guys, this is really just the thematic center of this book. And Paul says, it's all about love. That in the midst of all the problems and the dysfunction of this early church, if the Corinthians would have just embraced Paul's teaching here, the posture and the practice of love the problems and the divisions that were happening would have ceased. And this isn't just a message for the church, but for those relationships, friendships, marriages. Because if we get this right, it will change everything. You have hard times in relationships. Oftentimes it's because we don't get this love thing right. Your marriage feels like more like a jail cell. It's because we don't get this thing right. Love will change everything. But here's the important thing to know, okay? Chapter 13, which oftentimes is called the love chapter, is in the context of chapters 12 and 14 where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. All right, so Paul is not just giving kind of like a standalone sermon on love here, but he's talking about love as it relates to the church and the spiritual gifts that God gives the church. And chapter 14 talks about the proper use, or chapter 12 talks about the proper use of the spiritual gifts, and then chapter 12 talks about the endowment. But here in chapter 13, Paul gives us the proper attitude and the atmosphere that God intends the spiritual gifts to be used. All right, and one of the major issues and the controversies in this uniquely broken church was the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And at the core of this controversy revolved around this question, all right? And it's this, okay? What does a really spiritual person look like? That's what these people in Corinth were, were really looking at. They, were, they would look around this church right here and be like, what does a really spiritual person look like? Like, what does a, a really good Christian look like? And again, how would you answer that? Just think about this. Maybe some of you would say you know, a really spiritual person, they know a lot. They listen to a lot of podcasts, they've read a lot of books, they know a lot of theology. Or maybe you would say it's, it's that person that just gives so generously, they're always serving, they're always giving away their money. Some of the people in Corinth were saying this, you will know these people because they have extraordinary gifts. They have miraculous gifts, specifically the gifts of tongues. And as they said this, what they were doing is they were kind of creating like a two-level Christianity, that you had like the varsity squad over here that were really, really gifted, and then you kind of had God's JV team that weren't that gifted, but they loved Jesus and they were giving it the old college try, right? But if you look at chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says that's not it, because look at verse 31 in chapter 12. Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way And this more excellent way in which the the Christians in Corinth were not living by is the way of love, which is actually what a very real, spiritual, Jesus-loving person looks like. Hear me. That love is the key indicator of a person's relationship with God. And one of the fundamental problems in Corinth, and I would submit to you one of the fundamental problems today, is that the Christians were not living with love towards others. Instead, they were just focusing and boasting in their giftedness, and in their intellect, and in their opinions, and it was breeding division and disunity. And this is why Paul says what he does. And this section can be basically broken down into three parts, all right? In chapters, one, or verses one through three, Paul talks about the importance of love. Then we're going to look at chapter or verses four through seven, where Paul explains the nature of love. And then verses eight through 13, he wraps up by talking about the endlessness of love. All right. So, look back to verse 1, the importance of love. He says again, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And so the Corinthians were saying, here's what really matters and makes us really spiritual and mature. They're saying, I I speak in tongues. I can prophesy, I know a lot, I have incredible faith, I give away so much of my money. But Paul says, you know what, that's actually really great, but without love, you're nothing. And you gain nothing. And he essentially looks at these Christians, and he says, God's not impressed by your giftedness. He's not impressed by your philanthropy but his desire is that you would love like he does. Now, that word love, we've talked about this in the past, it causes all sorts of problems in the English language. Like I love Jesus, but I also love a nice cold beer on a hot day, right? And so like, what does this actually mean? Because I think very few people like, have an idea of what love truly is. That most people kind of think about love, including many Christians, in terms of like nice feelings or like warm affections or a romance or a desire, but this is not how Paul talks about love here. And in the Greek of of Paul's day, there were at least three words, all right, that can be translated into the English word love. First was the word eros. And eros was a a word that actually doesn't occur in the Bible, but it refers to a love that is like self-pleasing or a passionate love. Eros is where we get the English word erotic. Artphalia is another word for love in the Greek, which refers to like just a, an affection, like a brotherly love between friends. But I want you to understand, here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uses the word agape to talk about love. And agape, while one of the rarest words in ancient Greek literature, is one of the most common in the New Testament. And agape just refers to a love that seeks the highest good, for another person, even at the price of one's own comfort or benefit. It's a love that implies like a permanence or an unconditional commitment. This love that refers to like a decision rather than just a feeling, a commitment more than just a relationship. Very different from love that we use today, where it's like transactional and just replaceable. Agape means loving, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of other people. And this agape love is what Jesus identifies as a mark of a true Christian. All right, I want you to look at this. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this. It's gonna come up here on the screen. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then he says, John says in chapter 15, just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you Abide in my love. Doxa, here is the importance of love. Jesus left no doubt that love, this agape love, this self-sacrificing, unconditional love is a supreme mark of people who follow him. And this is why the Apostle John says in 1 John 4 that if someone claims to love God but not love people, that they're a liar. And he says that the truth of God is not in them. And this is why Paul says, if you fast forward to chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, that everything a Christian does should be done in love. And so just hear me on this. Guys, above anything else, if you are a follower of Jesus, like you should be known for your love. I mean, Christian, just let that sink in. We should be known by our love just like Jesus, above everything else, that right theology is not a substitute for love. That religious works are not a substitute for love. Church attendance and Bible study is not a substitute for love. Nothing substitutes love. And this is what the Corinthians lost sight of. And so Paul is talking to them and he uses three examples. Look back again to verse one. Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I can speak in tongues all day. And tongues translated literally means languages. And I don't have time to get into this today, but we will eventually. But Paul is saying, I can speak in tongues all day long, but if I'm a jerk, it doesn't mean anything. All right, that he's saying that it's great that you have this gift, but you need to be loving as well. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, right? all Christians have different gifts, but one thing we're all supposed to have is what? Love. And our gifts that God gives us through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit are nothing more than just different ways that we can all love each other. And so if you are a servant, you love by serving. If you're a teacher, you love by teaching. If you're a helper, you love by helping. If you're a leader, you love by leading. The spiritual gifts are just different ways for us to love one another. And so Paul is saying is if you have all these giftings in your life but not love, we've missed the whole point. And the Corinthians, they just didn't get this. They were like, man, I speak in tongues, and I speak in tongues better than most everybody, better than you. And Paul just comes in and says, that's great, but you're just not nice, all right? You're all good at tongues, but you're terrible at Christianity. He's asking them, where is your love? And then if you look at verse two, he gets into the second example. He says that you can be out of this world gifted, and you might know a ton of stuff. You might know all the biblical systematic theology. You might know everything, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean jack squat. That's what the Greek says in chapter, right? Okay, this is what he says. He says it doesn't mean anything, and to hammer this home, he gives a third example. Look at verse three. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so what he's saying is that even if I give away everything I have to the poor, or if I write big checks to help like philanthropic organizations, and even if I take a bullet for somebody or I'm killed for my faith, but I have not love, he says, I gain nothing. Nothing is saying that doesn't really matter because you can do all that stuff for selfish reasons and personal gain, not out of love. And so Doc said, you may be gifted by God in incredible ways. And I know you guys. There are some of you guys that are extremely gifted. But if you don't have love, the gift is worthless. This is what Paul is saying. And this is not devaluing the spiritual gifts at all, but recognizing how we use these gifts that are given by God. That if you want to exercise your spiritual gifts correctly, don't focus on the gift, but focus on the people you're serving with the gift. This is Paul's whole point. And honestly, like as I was thinking about even just coming up on the stage today, this is like what I try and have a posture of every time I teach. That it's not about me giving a stellar sermon and wowing anybody, but it's about me just asking God to help me to love you by bringing you God's truth in a helpful way. It's love. Love is essential. And so very practically, guys, without love, our church is just useless. Without love, the gospel that we preach for the redemption and the salvation of sinners will just be a loud, annoying gong. That without love, The things that we strive to do will just really be nothing. Without love, Doxa Church will never become the church that Jesus died to establish. And it's been my prayer that the words of 1 Peter chapter four, verse eight, where he says, above all, love, that this would be the reality of our church family. Because this is God's desire for us. That there are so many things that our church could become known for in Madison. But the one thing I hope is that those people are really loving Like, I don't want people to think about Dachshund and think like a a killer band and a rock wall and trampolines. But I want them to think of love. And even the people that would not agree with our theology and not agree with the Bible, that they would still say, man, I don't agree with those people, but they are very loving. I think this is the goal that Jesus and Paul are getting at. Paul wants us to understand this equation. It's going to pop up here. Write this down because this is so important that everything minus love actually equals nothing. Now, this leads to a big question. If love is that important, what is it? And this is what Paul moves on to talk about, the nature of love, verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Guys, this is the description of love, True, the true nature of love. And as you look at the Bible, guys, this is perhaps the most comprehensive biblical definition of the fullness of love that we have throughout the scriptures. And what Paul basically does is he shines love through a prism. And we see 15 of its colors and hues, the spectrum of love, that each ray is a facet of just agape love that comes from God and marks the Christian. And unlike most English translations, okay, the Greek forms of all these facets of love are actually verbs. And so this list does not focus on what love is so much as what love does and does not do. And I need you to understand this, okay? Agape love is active. It's not abstract or, or passive. It does not like simply feel patient, but it practices patience. It doesn't simply have kind feelings, but it does kind things. It doesn't simply recognize the truth, but it rejoices in the truth and shares the truth. Love is fully love only when it acts. Understand that. It's not just a feeling, it's an action. And this is what the apostle John says in 1 John 3:18. He says, "Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." And Paul's purpose in giving this list, guys, is not to really just give us like a a technical analysis of love, but to break it into smaller parts that we can understand and apply its full rich meaning. That he's wanting the Corinthians and God is wanting us to really just carefully and honestly measure our lives against these characteristics of love. And so, guys, let me just ask you this. As you read this list, does that describe you I mean, look back at the, that list. Like, does that describe who you are today? And I'd encourage you, talk about this in connection group this week. I mean, if you just look back to verses four and seven, put your name in that. I'll read it. Rob is patient and kind, Rob does not envy or boast. Rob is not arrogant or rude. Rob does not insist on his own way. Rob is not irritable or resentful. Rob does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Rob bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Like, how did that reading go for you? I mean, if you just sit back, does that look like you? Like, if we were to, like, interview, like, your best friend or your spouse or your kids, would they be like, yep, that's them. Guys, and I'll be honest, like I've I've taught this passage many times, but as I was in this this week, I was tempted to really just call somebody else to teach this. That while I love Jesus and, and strive to be a godly man, I'm just as broken and sinful as the next guy. And just like you, like I fall so short so often. And the truth is, guys, as we look at this list, This list describes who we all want to be, but who none of us actually are. That if we're honest, none of us are who we want to be, but by the grace of God, he is helping us to grow into that person. And I said this last week, but I'll say it again. When we think about not being who we want to be, guys, the Christian life is not about perfection, but it's about progression, That we walk with Jesus, and we love Jesus, and day by day, he helps us to die to ourself, to die to our sin, and to live for Christ. And he helps us to become more and more who he's created us to be, ultimately more like Jesus. And so while I fail, and this is what I do, this is the hope that I cling on to. I don't know about you, but while I fail in so many ways, God's grace has changed me in greater ways. And I'm nowhere near the man that I used to be. And I'm becoming more of the man that God has created me to be. Isn't this great? I mean, Christian, does that give you a little bit of hope that you don't have to be in despair your whole life? Like you just look back and God is changing you through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope this encourages you. But this chapter is one of those chapters where the Bible becomes a mirror. The, book, the Bible is not just a book that we read, but it's a, a book that oftentimes reads us. And at times you read it and it becomes a mirror where you see yourself as it relates to these words. And before you get bummed out, all right, and, and fall into despair, I need you to hear this, guys. While this list does not describe any of us, it does describe someone. See, as Paul is painting a portrait of a love, Jesus Christ is sitting in as the model for this portrait. That Jesus lived out in perfection all of these aspects of love, and this is a beautiful picture of Jesus and his love. Let's just read this again with Jesus' name in here. Look at this. Jesus is patient and kind. This is Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, Christian, do you ever take time to just pause and reflect on the patience of God? I mean, if you're anything like me, I mean, I would have checked out a long time ago on a guy like me. But God is so patient. It's amazing. Jesus does not envy or boast that he came as a servant and he humbled himself to serve us and to save us. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way, but he actually lays down his life and he follows the way of the Father to save us. Jesus is not irritable or resentful, that through grace he doesn't keep a record of our right or wrongs. Jesus is does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, literally endures everything, even to the cross where he died for you. See, chapter 13, while it points out the ways that we all fall short of loving, it also points out the way that Jesus has loved us perfectly. And the truth is, guys, our ability to love is based on our experience with love. And as people who are loved by God in the greatest way through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we love because he first loved us. And this is the Christian life. We seek to live out of the overflow of the love that God has showered us with. And Paul says this is the goal, that we would be lovers just like Jesus. And so he gives us the importance of love, the nature of love, and the last thing we see is this, is the endlessness of love. Look at verse 8. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. All right, so here's what I want you to know. All right, throughout all eternity, love will never end. Love lasts forever. If you look back, Paul says that when the perfect comes, the gifts will cease, okay? So prophecy, knowledge, this will all pass away. Tongues will cease to be needed. That in heaven, we don't need prophecy. We don't need prophets to hear from God. We'll just go to Jesus face to face, this is what Paul is saying here. And I already know I'm going to need a new job in heaven. I'm hoping like a worship leader, get some skinny jeans, it'll be great, right? And just... <laughs> but when Paul says like when the perfect comes, while this is like a hugely debated verse, here's what I believe. All right, some say that when the perfect comes, all right, this was the completion and the canonization of Scripture or like really just the maturing church. I really don't think this is what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about the eternal state. This is the perfection coming, the eternal, joyful, complete, heavenly state of believers where, as Paul puts it, we will see Jesus face to face. And this is the day that we all long for. This is the day that we have our eyes set on, the day where Jesus comes back, wipes away all the tears, and it's just perfection and glory. This is what he's talking about, and this is why he ends in verse 13 saying, Now faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, or these three, but the greatest is love. That faith and hope will have no purpose in heaven. Because everything will be true, everything will be known, everything will be good will be possessed. They're not equal to love. That love is the greatest of these because it's eternal. And this is why, like in our current life, in our current state, Paul and Jesus say that love is actually supreme. And this is why in verse 11, look back to this. Paul says to the Corinthians, stop acting like children. Stop acting like children. See, these people were very immature in their faith. They could speak in tongues, they could prophesy, they knew a lot, but they were not loving, they were not considerate of one another, and out of selfishness, just like children, they're going their own way, they're doing their own thing, they're sinning, they're messing up the family of God. This is what they were doing. they thinking, I have these spiritual gifts, I'm super spiritual, but no. What makes you mature and spiritual is love and humility. And the differentiation between an adult and a child is that a child, I mean, parents, you know this, right? A child is absolutely self-consumed. I mean, little kids, right? Their are two favorite words, no and mine. Right, mom and dad? Like, these are the kids. Paul says, don't be like a child, don't be so self-consumed. Don't be so egocentric. Don't insist on your own ways. Instead, lay down your life like Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. And so I'll ask you, like right now, are you living like, more like a child or a mature adult? God's desire is that we would be these mature adults, that we would walk into maturity and become more like Jesus for the glory of God and the good of our world. Again, talk about this in your connection group. But, Doctor, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would sink Paul's words deep into our hearts and really just allow us to be lovers for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And while we faithfully wait and long for the day where we receive Jesus face to face, we will remember and live in the great love that he has for us. And as we experience this great love, We'll take that love and as the overflow, we'll seek to give that love away to every single person around us. And when we do that, we'll actually be following in the words and ways of Jesus to love God and to love people. So here's the big idea let's be a church family where our lives say the right thing about God. Amen? God is love. Let our lives just say the right thing about God. And God, I, guys, I'll tell you like, I mean, just imagine what would happen in us, among us, and through us if we actually were a church that loved like Jesus. This would change our friendships. This would change our marriages. This would change our families. This would change our city. I was sitting back there in the first set of worship, and it just dawned on me, guys. A couple hundred people gathered here. If we were all just lovers like Jesus, I really believe that we would see this city flipped on end with the gospel. That revival would break out. It's love. I mean, this is why Jesus says, if you love one another just as I have loved you, all people will know that you are my disciples. Our love for one another evidences that we have been loved by God, that we love God. And when people see this, they won't be able to understand it. They, and they'll just ask, like, why are you the way that you are? And then we have the great joy of just being a giant neon arrow that points to Jesus. And we'll say, it's not me. I'm not that great. But there is one who is great, and his name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Love. Let's let our lives say the right thing about our God. And so we're gonna remind ourselves of this love right now as we get into worship. But before we do that, we're gonna take communion together. And so during these last couple songs, I just encourage you just to sit and just reflect on the Father's love for you. Talk to him. Thank him for that love. Ask him to Allow you to experience that love, to be changed by that love, and to be a lover like Jesus, to give it away to the world. And then go and celebrate communion. There's four tables set around here. During these last two songs, you can get up and take that whenever you feel ready. But you take the bread, and you're reminded of the love of Jesus, where his body was literally broken for you on the cross. And you just say, thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. You dip it in the juice, it's a representation of the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And by his wounds, we have been made clean. He has healed us from sin. He has brought us to the Father. It's the love of God. And you just say, thank you. And then you go and you celebrate and just remember and rest in the love of God and allow that to just be the overflow of your life. And so let me pray, and then we're gonna remember Jesus through communion. Father, I I love you. Jesus, I I thank you for that truth in Romans 5.8 that while I was still a sinner running away from you, not caring for you, not loving you, not following you, that you were there, you were seeking me, you were loving me, you were following me. And God, thank you for opening up my eyes to the gospel. God, I pray that if there is someone in here that is here like exploring the truth of who you are, that Holy Spirit, that you would just break in right now and let them experience your love, understand the gospel, and they would come to you and find this new life. God, help us to be a church family that is marked by love like you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, this has got to be a work that you do because I know in me there is not a whole lot of love. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of pride. But I just ask that you just soften my heart. Help me to walk humble. Give me the love that you have for me and let me live that way towards other people. Let us be a church family where our lives say the right thing about you, God, who is love. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.